Hello. Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. All right. Uh, this morning, we are we're starting a new series. We're laying a foundation uh, as we look towards the Advent season over the next few weeks. Um, the series is called Return to the Feast. And uh, the Lord really gave the team, and specifically June, a vision for this series. Um, we The first Sunday of Advent begins next Sunday, um, but I just wanted this morning through John chapter 6 to kind of lay a foundation for where we're going. There's um, often, oftentimes in the church a real lack of rootedness, um, a lack of history, understanding history, and uh, a lack of awareness of the body of Christ globally. And so Advent is a time uh, in the church calendar that we get to join with our brothers and sisters in Jesus across the planet um, to center on Jesus. And that's our goal. That's our heart uh, through this Advent series. Um, if you're following along with us in our discipleship resource called The Daily, you might have noticed, like, where are some of these passages coming from? Like, in Daniel and our community group, even this last week, was like, how is this connected to the incarnation and, and Advent? And we're following the common lectionary, which are uh, uh, scripture readings that the church has read and practiced um, over centuries. And so um, we just continue to encourage you to join us in that. Our passage this morning is John chapter 6, verses 25 to 35. And I'm going to uh, read it. It'll be on the screen behind me. You guys ready to go? Together, here we go. Good. When they found him, this is Jesus, when they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for each person you brought into this room uh, this morning. Lord, you know our stories. You know what we're carrying into the room. You know what each of us needs to hear. And we thank you that you speak through to us through your spirit and your word. And we ask that you would this morning convict us and that we would be thoroughly changed, that we wouldn't just intellectually assent to the truths that come out of this passage, um, but we would on 
the deepest level of our hearts and our hands and our lives, our bodies be transformed by your gospel. Thank you, Lord, uh, for this teaching that you gave your disciples and that we get to sit under now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last weekend, I mentioned that our elder team got away for an overnight retreat, and on Friday night, uh, we had a chance to eat dinner together. And, um, and David and I, you know, if we're ever out at a meal, sometimes, like, us, we'll, we'll share a meal. Like, he'll, he'll order something, I'll order something, we'll, like, split it, you know, because that's what friends do. And we're, like, trying to figure out, you know, get a little taste of everything. And uh, we went to this great restaurant, and um, we were looking at the menu, and David and I both caught this, like, short rib dish, and it, it looked like this. And, uh, and that looked pretty amazing. Short rib on a potato pancake. I mean, like, who doesn't like a potato pancake? Like, you guys, this is, like... And it looks delicious. And so we're pretty jazzed. David and I are like really looking forward to it. I think a couple other people ordered this dish. And we've seen the picture and we're like, man, we can't wait till this thing comes out. And I don't have a picture of what came out, but it was a sad piece of meat. I mean, it was, it was, it was not in a good place. I'll just say that. And on top of that, it was on this even sadder mashed potato pile. Like, I don't know what, we don't know what happened to the potato pancake, but they weren't making them that day. And we have no idea why, because they had potatoes, because we had this really sad dish of mashed potatoes and this sadder piece of meat on top of it. And we were so disappointed about the food that came out. But there was one redeeming part of the meal, and that was actually what came out first. <clears throat> and what came out first was a, a breadboard. I don't know if you've had a breadboard before, but this breadboard it looked like this. Uh, this looks like it's, uh, it's a little pixelated here, so you have to look it up online later. But um, it, 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 it looked like this, and it tasted like that. I mean, it was phenomenal. It was the most amazing board of bread I've ever had, and we just consumed it together as a day. We just couldn't stop eating it. It was so, so good. Loved board. We are designed, I mean, there is a design in us to eat. We have a capacity to eat. We are created, as it were, to feast, to enjoy rich food. I mean, our, our noses have this capacity to smell sweet aroma. We have taste buds that can be electrified um, by sweet and sour and spicy um, flavors. We have teeth to chew. We have stomachs to digest. We have this ability not just functionally to consume food, but to enjoy food for pleasure. Eating good food is something that is deeply pleasurable, and we enjoy it. And across the planet, if you're human, you get that, and you love it. I happen to be married to a woman who is an amazing cook on multiple levels, and so I've really enjoyed good food uh, throughout our marriage. And this raises a question, though. Um, why is it that we also continually become hungry. We have this thing that we do called eating, but then we also have this thing in all of us that we're always struggling with hunger. We have to continue to eat. We can't just eat a meal and then we're done for the week. Most of us eat meat three meals a day. Maybe some of us eat smaller portions of five meals a day. Um, we have different eating rhythms, but there's always this hunger that comes and this is exactly what Jesus addresses this morning and, and will usher us into this season of Advent. Here's the question. Is there a kind of food that satisfies in a way that physical food cannot? Is there a kind of food out there 
that would satisfy something more than just our stomachs, that includes the physicality of our bodies, but is not just limited to the physicality of our bodies. Or maybe we'd say this way, what food treats our hunger? What food treats our hunger? And in this passage, there's really three movements that explore this question. Uh, The first is the hunger in our condition. That's verses 25 through 26. So Jesus raises this. What is the hunger that is in your condition and my condition and our condition as humans? Secondly, we have a deep struggle to be satisfied. And what is that struggle that we have? How do we try to satisfy the hunger in us? That's verses 27 to 31. And then lastly, in this passage, we find a feast that lasts. The feast which lasts. So let's begin with the hunger in our condition. The hunger in our condition. Starting in verse 25, Jesus, before verse 25, if you have read and know the context, he's fed the 5,000. So people have come to him and he's fed them. And now in verse 25, they're looking for Jesus. Uh, it says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them. And here's Jesus, hears and sees them. And he says, they're looking for him for a particular reason. Why are they looking for him? Truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but why? Because you ate your fill of loaves. They're hungry. They're hungry. They had a meal the day before. And Jesus was the one who fed them food. And so they're hungry. And they followed him to get food for their stomachs. But here Jesus, as he always does, sees right through them. He hears the grumbling in their stomachs. And he uses it as an occasion to impress upon them and teach them about a different kind of hunger that they actually are struggling with, the same kind of struggle that we have. Their empty stomachs are a point of connection for something deeper. In verse 27, Jesus says it this way as the passage continues. He says, don't labor for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. So Jesus is saying, what does he say? There's a kind of food that you're after, and it goes bad, or it's limited. It doesn't last. It's going to leave you hungry again and again and again. But there's a different kind of food Jesus is pointing to here. He says, there's actually a kind of food that leads you to an eternal kind of satisfaction an eternal kind of life, an eternal kind of flourishing, nutrients and food, a food that does not fail and will not let down. This is the hunger in our condition. We have this deep hunger. Where does it come from? The emptiness, the lack of satisfaction, the discontentment, where does it come from? I'm not talking about just physical food for the stomach here. I'm talking about in our lives, how that hunger stirs in us. I mean, why do we want to smell other scents? Why do our tongues yearn for tasting something that would just gratify ourselves? There's a hunger in the human condition, a deep longing for satisfaction that goes deeper than just the physicality of our beings. And the scripture says this emptiness sprang in us from our first parents' rebellion, if you are familiar with Scripture, we go back to this passage often because it's really the root of our problem, which is Genesis chapter 6. 
And I, want, I just want to read this to you and help us to just see a little bit of how deeply our struggle with sin and our depravity is connected with this uh, relationship to food. Verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that there, the tree was to be desired to make one wise, here's what we find in verse 6. She took of the fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And there was a hunger in the human condition that sprang up that went far beyond just the physicality of food in that moment. There's a hunger that stirred deep in the hearts of men and women. And in this moment, there was a lie. There was a lie that came to our first parents in that garden. And the lie went something like this. You know what? You don't just need God for food. You don't just need God to satisfy. There's more that you actually need than just him. And so what do they do? They took the fruit from the tree and they consumed it. And here things went terribly wrong. It's what scripture calls sin. It sprang into our condition. Sin is a distortion of all that is good and true and beautiful. Uh, it's that which was designed for pleasure that becomes an ache to be filled. Uh, it's thinking that the physicality of this world is of ultimate reality. Uh, hungry. The question is, how will we be satisfied? And this is the very question that leads us to the second observation in this passage. We have this deep hunger in us. And then, well, how does that hunger get satisfied? And Jesus, in this passage, knows and sees these disciples of his are struggling with this very question. And there's really three ways that they are trying to satisfy themselves. There's a struggle to be satisfied. It's their works. They're looking for their good religious behavior, their activity to satisfy them. They're looking for a sign. We'll see that in verse 30. And then they're looking for a human. They're looking for a person in verse 31. So our struggle to be satisfied goes like this, verse 28. Jesus says, remember, uh, you know, don't labor, don't work for food that perishes. Work for food that lasts. So what's their question, verse 28? What must we do to be doing the works of God? I mean, it's, it's a pretty natural question for them to ask. I, think, I mean, if I were in the room with Jesus, I'd probably ask the same question, Okay. Don't work for food that perishes. Work for food that lasts. And, okay, what does that work look like so I can get that food that lasts? Okay? And they say, and, and Jesus them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who was sent. But we don't like to go to faith. We would rather control the situation. We would rather try to fill ourselves by our own works, by our own merits. Is this not our disposition? I mean, this certainly is my disposition at times. I'm hungry. What can I do to fill myself? There's a religious version of this which says, if I do good works and I do good things to please God, then I'll get filled up. I mean, this is what they were, you know, as good Jewish, Jewish folks. They're saying, well, just tell us what does God require of us. We'll do those things and then we'll get filled up. There's also, you know, you might call a materialistic view of this, which is maybe a non-religious view of this that says, well, Maybe I don't really believe that there's a God in the world, but I'm still going to try to fill myself. I'm still going to try to do something to fill myself. 
And the problem is that with both of these attempts, when we are trying to do something, when we are trying to work at filling ourselves, it always ends up falling short. Guess what comes back up? The deep hunger. The deep hunger. They're not just relying on their works. Verse 30, we find that they want a sign. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? So if it's not something we can do to ask God to fill us up, to get him to fill us up, uh, maybe it's that he could give us some kind of a sign. And some of us are hungry. Some of us have been hungry in this last season, and we're just looking, God, please give me a sign. If I see a sign, then I know. Then I'll be filled up. In fact, they say to Jesus, you know, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. They quote, you know, uh, they quote Psalm 78. He gave them bread to eat. So Jesus, if you give us another sign like you fed us before, if you just feed us again, well, then we'll be filled up. And the Jews considered manna like the greatest of miracles. The people needed something tangible. They were looking for a sign in order to believe. What can you offer us, Jesus? And so we look for signs to fill our hunger. We don't just look to our works. We don't just look for signs. But some of us look to other human beings. Verse 31. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So they said, remember the manna that came from heaven? He gave it to us. When they say he, they weren't talking about God. They were actually talking about Moses. Moses gave us bread. And so why don't we just look to a human being to provide the food for us? And some of us look to other people, our spouses, our girlfriend, our boyfriend, our friends, um, our children, to satisfy the deep hunger in our condition. And some of us in this last season, that's been our story. I mean, you've been hungry. And you've been really trying hard to fill, to fill, to fill. And the emptiness keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. And this leads us to the last observation in this passage. There's a, there's a, there's a deep hunger in the human condition. There's the struggle that we have to fill ourselves. But it's in this moment that Jesus drops one of his most profound teachings. And I, I want us to appreciate how radical of a teaching this is when he proclaims that he actually is the feast which lasts. Verse 29, if you remember, Jesus says, they're asking, what are all the works we need to do? And Jesus says, there's actually one work. There's actually just one thing that you have to do. And what is the one thing? To believe to trust, to trust the Lord, to believe that he actually has provided the bread that you so desperately need. In verse 33, Jesus alludes this. He says, the bread of God is he who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. So now Jesus is taking their stomachs, their empty stomachs, and he's saying, look, there's a kind of fulfillment, there's a kind of satisfaction that transcends just your stomach. It's, kind of a, it's, a, it's a kind of bread that comes from heaven to earth. And then it's in this moment that Jesus says the most stunning thing in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. 
Jesus himself identifies as that bread that comes down from heaven. A better manna than what came to the Jewish nation in the Old Testament. A kind of bread that actually deeply satisfies. He says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And when Jesus says this, this is the first of his seven I am statements, if you follow the gospel of John. I mean, he's throwing back to the Jewish nation. When he says I am, he's identifying himself as God. And so here in front of this, his, his disciples, this is one of the first times that we find Jesus saying, I am God. It's a proclamation of his divinity. And not only is he God, but he is the God who provides food. And not just any kind of food, but a particular kind of food called bread. Now, I know some of us in here are gluten-free, so that's okay. But I want us just to think through how profound of an image this is that Jesus gives to his disciples. What is this? It's wheat. It's planted in the fall. It grows throughout the year. It's harvested in late summer. It's dried, it's plucked, and then it's pulverized, these little seeds of, of wheat. And what happens when you grind these down? What does it become? Flour. Yeah. And when this flour is mixed with water and bacteria, <laughs> yeast, it turns into this gooey mix, which then is alive, as Louis Pasteur discovered. <laughs> and it rises. It rises, doesn't it? And when you put it into an oven, it turns into a really tasty meal. Bread. Magically, it's transformed into one of the most consumed and life-sustaining foods on the planet. Nutrients for the body, energy for people. Of the almost 8 billion people on planet Earth, about 50% of each, each human being's daily food intake is some kind of grain, whether it's wheat or whether it's rice or whether it's maize. Again, I know some of us are gluten-free, but for most of the people on the planet, half of what they consume in a day is based on this little thing. So can you think of the magnitude when Jesus, 2,000 years ago, stands up and he says, I am the bread of life. I mean, He's speaking to every human being on the planet. His gospel is for all people. And he's declaring that he is the one who alone is needed for ultimate life, for transcendent life, for lasting life. I mean, bread in the Bible is mentioned almost 500 times, beginning in all the way through Revelation. It's a picture of the word, truth, 
Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's a picture of provision and survival. This is Exodus 16, as the nation of Israel uh, is, is uh, in the Exodus, and they're ushered out of Egypt. They don't even have time for their bread to be leavened. It's unleavened bread. Uh, it's a picture of the eschaton, or when Christ returns. Um, it signifies Jesus' return, Luke 14, 15. Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And it's a picture of God's eternal presence. We find this in the tabernacle and in the temple. There's showbread laid out. I mean, bread is such a critical picture through all of Scripture. And this is why it's so powerful that Jesus stands up and he says, I am the bread of life. But there's one particular, particularly significant image that bread helps us with this morning uh, as hungry people entering into a season of Advent. And in this season of Advent, bread is a profound picture of the incarnation. It's a profound image of the incarnation. Um, there's something in your seats this morning. How many of you noticed that? Okay, more than, you're on it because there, like one person in the first, you know, noticed that. Um, what is it? You can find it. Look for it. You might be sitting on it. What is it? It's a, it's a, it's a wheat grain. Yeah? It's a, little, it's a little wheat grain. And when dropped into the ground, as we said, it provides sustenance for 8 billion, almost 8 billion people on planet Earth. 2,000 years ago, a seed was dropped from heaven to earth. And that child, that seed born of a virgin into a town called Bethlehem, which, by the way, do you know how, what Bethlehem tra is translated into? If you, the house of bread. Isn't that amazing? And this seed drops from heaven to earth. And this grain grew and he began to teach of this alternate reality, one where peace and joy and hope and love reign. These are the themes of Advent that we're going to be studying through the Word through, uh, through this season. And he announced the arrival of an alternative kingdom where he would be king, where he is king. And he healed the sick, he raised the dead, and he cared for the poor. And he called the Jewish nation and he called all who would hear him to return to God. And this wheat grain, as it were, was pulverized. He was broken by the way of the cross. And he was thrown into the oven of the grave and the heat of hell. And yet he rose and emerged and became for us the very food that we so need, the only food that satisfies our condition and sustains us for a kind of life that does not fade here, but lasts, as Jesus himself says, into eternity, offering us forgiveness. Do you know, this is a picture of the incarnation. This is the hope of the gospel as we center ourselves on Jesus through this Advent season. He is the bread that came down from heaven. He is the bread of life. He came almost completely unnoticed. And yet, what he planted in the world was a revolution of the heart, 
a revolution of love and grace and mercy and the newness of life that's made available. This is Isaiah chapter 55. This is the picture in the different words. Come, says Isaiah, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. He who has come and buy and eat. It's totally contrary to us trying to satisfy ourselves through our work, to try to satisfy ourselves in different ways. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me and hear that your soul may live. You hear hints in Isaiah of Jesus and what he would teach his disciples on this day in John chapter 6. And this is why he stands up on this occasion and he says, I am the bread of life. As we think about this theme of returning to the feast, Jesus is the feast, you guys. He is the one that we come to in this season. And I know for many of us in this last couple of years, in this last season, it's been a season of malnourishment. Some of us have not been eating the things that we ought to have been eating, so to speak. The spiritual rhythms of our life have been lost. The fellowship that we had at once has been gone through isolation. Um, some of us have just been consuming unhealthy food. We have patterns and rhythms in our life that are forming us and are shaping us unintentionally. You know, binging on Netflix, I'm not out here, but you know, it's very easy when you're in the middle of a pandemic and you're in quarantine, right? And that, 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 those things shape not only your bodies, but your imagination and your hearts, there's ways of the world that you've adopted unintentionally. You've been watching things or participating in things that are even evil or sinful. Maybe you've been listening to messages that are extreme and unhelpful and divisive. Or some of us have just been indulging in healthy and good food, but a lot of it and too much of it. We've turned a good thing into an ultimate thing. And the church as a whole in this season, I mean, we see it. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of unhealth that's happening. And it's our heart and our desire. We are not perfect by any means, but it's our desire that we be formed and shaped by the grace of the gospel in this season, in the world, in the culture we find ourselves. That is of what is of utmost importance to us, that you are shaped and you grow in Christ. We do not want you here to consume we're interested in Jesus shaping your life towards his agenda for your life. And we're going to be eating a lot this week, aren't we? Thursday. Every bite of food that you take on Thanksgiving or today, it's a signpost to our true feast and it's a signpost to who is Jesus, and it's a signpost to the ultimate feast we'll take, partake in one day. And we believe this Advent season for us as a church is a time to return to the feast, to center on Christ with good food and good drink, to celebrate together. And there's a couple things that I'm really excited about that I just want to offer us here as formational practices, as we hear the word taught and proclaimed. We don't want you just to go out of here with ideas in your head. We want to challenge you to put these things to work with your hands and your heart and let it play out over your whole bodies. So next Sunday, starting our first Sunday of Advent, we're going to have a, a table set up here. 
And on this table, each week, we want to invite you to bring something. Bring fresh baked bread. Bring something delicious that you like to make. We'll probably pack some of it up and bring it with us to Robinwood. If you don't cook, don't bring it. No. <laughs> you can bring something too. We just might not eat it. No. Um, but, but we want, this is a sort of an interactive spiritual formation for us as a body. You don't have to sign up. Just bring it. Just bring it and put it on the table. And someone will take it. And it's a chance for us to remember Jesus as our feast. And then there's a spiritual practice of formation that we'd like you to participate in. Again, these things are not works that we do to try to get God to fill us. This is out of the filledness that we have in Christ. We get to respond, and these are means of grace that further shape our imagination, our hearts towards him. The second one you're going to say, well, this seems like totally counterintuitive to the whole message. I want to call you to fast. It's a, it's a practice in the church that's often been forgotten. And, and you can pray as friends, as a couple, as families, as community groups about how this might, might play out. But the church, even to this day, uh, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they fast through Advent. Um, for breakfast and lunch, they, well, from uh, dawn until dusk, they don't eat anything. And then they eat after, after dusk um, each day. And what are they doing? They're acknowledging the hunger that they have. They're allowing the Spirit of God to stir in them a desire um, for a greater feast. And then when they break bread and when they eat each evening, I mean, what is it? It's a celebration. It's a remembering of thank God for the true feast that we participate in. So what would that look like for you? I mean, maybe it's food. Maybe you're supposed to fast from something else this season. But we we would want to encourage you and call you to that. Again, it's not legalistic. It's not works-based. You might say, I'll give up breakfast one time between now and Christmas. That's what I can do. Great, do it. Okay. Do what the Spirit of God is leading you to, but we want to do that together. We want to form in Christ in this season. And we think this is going to be a sweet season together of renewal. Feasting on him by faith. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are always taking the, the tangible, physical things of the world and you're pointing us. Lord, you're not saying those things don't matter, but you're saying they are a taste or they are a sign towards the whole of, of, of life, the deeper realities of life, the invisible parts of life. And so here in this moment, you point some empty stomachs and we're here with empty stomachs too at this moment to an ultimate feast, which is you. And we thank you that you are the only one that truly can satisfy. And Lord, we repent, we turn from the ways that we've tried to satisfy ourselves and we've tried to fill ourselves. And Lord, I know each of us in this room could think of a a hundred ways where we do that each moment. Thank you that you invite us to come and to participate in your body and your blood. And so we ask that as we do partake in this meal together now, you would meet us in the bread. In Jesus' name we pray.
Thank you.